Do you love early intervention, but feel like you need more mentorship and information to thrive in this setting? We're here to provide a safe, inclusive community where we learn from and uplift one another. It's our mission to prepare students and practitioners to be confident and competent working in early intervention. Hi, I'm Amira Johnson. I'm Danielle DiLorenzo. And I'm Sarah Putt. And together, we're the real OTs of early intervention. Hey, Amira, how are you doing today? I'm doing good today. How are you, Danielle? I'm doing really well. How about you, Sarah? I'm doing fantastic. And I am actually really looking forward to jumping into today's topic. And that topic is the team-based approach in early intervention. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Marvelous Miracles OT, a platform created to empower and equip families and therapists with the tools and resources to help little miracles fulfill big dreams. So to start, Danielle, I'd love to hear the why behind the team-based approach in early intervention. As you've heard in previous episodes, we talk about how early intervention is different from state to state. So today we're going to talk about how certain states utilize a team-based approach and how other states have individual practitioners just going out and doing assessments and treatments. And we're also going to talk about how co-treating can occur with other professions within early intervention. So Amira, you come from a team-based approach in Arizona. Can you talk a little bit about that? So the first thing I want to clarify is that we all do work in a team in some capacity, whether you are technically in the team-based early intervention program or not, you do still have a team around you. So in Arizona, it's actually called team-based early intervention. So if you look up our early intervention program or our website, you'll see that that is the approach. That's the technical name for that approach. So the team-based approach is all about providing the family with a whole team of professionals that work together. And this is a little different because the family does not expect to have a series of different individuals coming in who are kind of working independently of each other, but we work together. So they don't have to tell the same thing over and over again. They can just tell two people at one time during you know that session or that evaluation. So what I want to do is kind of just go through the process, what it looks like as a team-based approach from the evaluation to actually starting to provide services. So a few episodes ago, we talked all about the evaluation process. So we evaluate on a team of two people. So it depends on what the concern is at the initial referral. So let's say the concern is communication delays and sensory processing difficulties. The service coordinator is going to contact the speech language pathologist and the occupational therapist to see if we're available for the evaluation. And the two of us go out. And this is not the same in all states because like Sarah, where you are, you're the only person who does the evaluation. So the two service providers will go out to do that evaluation. After the evaluation, once the child becomes eligible, we are all again contacted by the service coordinator and we go to the family's home. And that's where we do the IFSP, the individual family service plan. So at that time, we identify who is going to be the team lead. So again, you have this whole team of professionals working behind the scenes, and those members might include the OT, PT, speech therapist, developmental specialist, hearing and vision specialist. We have child psychologists, social work, So we identify who the team lead is going to be, and that'll be the main person that will be doing the therapy services with the family. Danielle, do you also have 
a team lead when you have your team-based approach? No, ours looks a little different. So for us, we are individual practitioners in isolating services. So OT, speech, PT. And then what we do is we can offer the family an opportunity to have co-treating or overlapping sessions. So a lot of the times we do a lot of overlapping. So my friend Jenna and I, she was a speech pathologist and me as the OT. And then we also had a teacher or someone else on the team and we would all overlap our services. So there would be continuity and working on all of the areas of development throughout these overlapping services. So for example, if an if a kiddo had a feeding issue, but also had tactile defensiveness or sensory sensitivities, we would do a sensory motor approach to feeding where both disciplines would come in and work on that same task, but providing two different perspectives to the family. So again, it would be overlapping of services, co-treating at the same time or having that individual therapy session and then someone would come right after. So you'd be kind of swinging in on the way out. So someone, as you're writing your notes, we could just be like, oh, let me catch you up on what I did today or so forth. So we were always in constant communication with the IFSP team, but there was no leader or anyone designated to be a case carrier or the primary which I think is one of the differences between not only a team approach, but also just an individual approach where you are choosing as a team with the family's permission to do co-treating and overlapping sessions. Danielle, you were talking about co-treating. So just going back to during the IFSP process, we do establish the team lead, but we also at that time establish what we call joint visitors. And the joint visitor is the person who is going to co-treat for a certain number of sessions. So it's typically not as many as the team lead. So for like my kiddos that I have, if I'm working on sensory processing, fine motor, gross motor, I'm the primary person for that, but I might also need to have the PT come in to look at, you know, structurally is everything okay? During the IFSP, we would say, okay, OT is going to be the team lead for two times a month. And then PT is going to be the joint visitor for one time a month. So that's typically how we do our co-treating sessions. We have to actually write them on the IFSP as the joint visitor. But like you said, you do have kind of almost like a leader. So the team lead is the person who has the most skills, knowledge, and expertise to fit whatever the family needs or wants. So what their goals are. So you're supporting the family as that main contact person, again, so that they don't have to work with such a huge series of different individuals. They just have that one person. And then we have the joint visitors who provide coaching to the families, but also coaching to the team leads. So the PT will tell me what I should be doing in my sessions to help with meeting those goals. So that's kind of how it works with us when we do the co-treating. We do have to put it on the IFSP as a joint visitor. So I'm really curious how the actual working together with another person or with multiple different people on the team actually kind of looks. So I know you guys were kind of talking about some of the co-treating. So does most of the collaboration just happen during the session or do you have meetings outside of that where it might just be you and another professional meeting to discuss the case or maybe the parents are involved? Like, what does that look like? That's a great question. So when I was talking about my friend Jenna and I, we had several kids on our same caseloads. So what we would do is we would just call each other on our way in the car and talk about treatment plans. And we would be like, okay, how are we going to do this session? What were you thinking? Sometimes it would be on the fly because, you know, a lot of the times, again, working with the natural environment, working with the kids where they're at that day. But a lot of it looked like always starting with the sensory-based strategies, always starting with calming and organizing the child and then setting 
setting them up to engage in language-based activities or other motor activities where language can be embedded. And why this is so helpful is you get to have two therapists modeling what to do in a natural environment for the parent. So as we're working with the child, we're also teaching the parent and showing them firsthand what it looks like rather than them being an active participant first. So it was a really nice example of having that extra set of eyes and hands there and also providing those dualities with the different type of strategies with both speech and OT. And then once we would demonstrate it, then we would have the parent showing with someone coaching, like with whatever strategies we'd be doing, like, no, no, try this, sit down and try to feed it this way, turn the spoon this way, try to do these activities before. So it's really nice to have two people there that's really supporting both of your interventions and then being able to really have help the parents understand like this is how you can embed OT and speech strategies throughout your day in your natural environment. So Amira, is that how it goes with you all too? Yeah, our collaboration looks very similar, especially the calling in the car. We do that a lot. So we do that. And then also, if we arrive to the house like a couple minutes before, we'll kind of hang out for a second and talk about what our plan is going to be. I will say most times we don't really always need to do that because we have worked with that kid so many different times. So I would say more of that needs to happen at the very beginning when you're still learning the family. How are you really going to approach this? We do so much more collaboration versus when we have this, we've had the same kid for over a year now and we can just go in there and and get right to it. So that's definitely one of the ways that we collaborate. The other way that we collaborate is through weekly team meetings. So the entire team comes together for every child. So all of the therapists, and the different people who provide services will meet every week. So typically we had a location. Now we, of course, do it virtually, but we'd meet at this one location that was kind of central in our region. So we would meet there and then it's a time to talk about new referrals to the program. We talk about evaluation. So that's also a time that the service coordinator might say, hey, I have this evaluation, who can do it? We also talk about the evaluations that have already been done. And then we have a specific section for coaching during the team meetings. It's usually towards the end. And that's where you can add kiddos on and then you get coaching from the whole team. So even team members who are not necessarily on that kid's plan can still offer insight. So I had a kid who they were going through night terrors and I I had no idea what to do. <laughs> so I talked to the child psychologist on our team and I told her a little bit about the backstory and she was able to give me some really great suggestions that I could then go and talk to the family. So if let's say the family would try that and it's not working, I'm getting all the coaching from the child psychologist, then eventually we might put her on the plan as a joint visitor to come directly to talk to the family. So I love the coaching that we do during these team meetings because it's another chance to just do some of that collaboration that we really need to work to make the team-based model work for us. All of this just sounds amazing. And I'd really like to dive into some of the pros and cons about working in the team-based approach model. So Amira, I'm just going to go right back to you. What's one of the biggest pros that you have experienced working in the team-based approach? The whole approach has just been a pro for me, especially as a new graduate fresh out of school. I didn't know that this was even an option. So when I was looking into early intervention, before I actually like applied for the job, I was like, oh boy, I'm, I'm going to be on my own. I was all prepared for it. And then I learned that I had this whole team around me that could support the family, but could also support me as a new therapist because I get to learn so much from them. And I've learned so much from the PTs, the speech therapists, and the developmental specialists on our team because they've been doing this for so long. So even though they weren't OTs, I still learn such 
basic information that I needed to learn at the beginning. So it's been a huge pro for me having a team that I can kind of bounce ideas off of every single week. We don't have to worry about how am I going to get in touch with this therapist who's seeing this child because they're right there. So it's been, it's been great. I love it. What about you, Danielle? What pros have you experienced working in the team-based approach model? I love being able to integrate multiple disciplines during one session. I think that for certain kids, this method of implementation for strategies in a sense where we're attacking both sensory, motor, language, socialization, we're kind of attacking all areas of development at once within our sessions and being able to play and bounce off of each other. And that really helps to provide an example for the kiddos too, for modeling. So you're not only the one giving the directive for the intervention, but you also have somebody else modeling that intervention. And in moments where you have kiddos that might have, you know, self-interest behaviors or really aggressive behaviors in nature or on the other, on the extreme side, just kiddos that have really low arousal levels. It might be very challenging for one person to get a kiddo to be involved with the session. But when you have two together, giving those two different perspectives from two different disciplines and having two different, you know, levels of experience in a sense from their own professional backgrounds, it's a time saver in a sense to the child. So I look at it as sometimes it really further promotes that development as we were talking about in our previous episode about how sometimes, you know, people just think development just kind of occurs naturally, which it does. But when you have two people taking a look at what this child needs, that's where you can really make a big difference in more of a quicker manner. It's just a pro of working with a team. That's just something I've seen in in my years of early intervention. Two heads are better than one. They are. So one of the things that I know that I deal with a lot that can be a big challenge or a con maybe of working in early intervention, and as you guys are talking about the team-based approach, all I'm thinking about is scheduling and how much of a headache that can be, regardless if you're in a team-based approach or if you're a solo practitioner or something like that. So I'd love to just dig into some of the cons of the team-based approach and is scheduling really that big of an issue? So for me, I didn't think scheduling was that difficult to manage because with the flexibility of early intervention, you get to make your own schedule. And there are certain kids that needed to have specific dates and times that couldn't be moved around. But most often, a lot of other appointments were very easily moved. And we were lucky to have service coordinators that kept the same teams in the same area. So most likely, you had the same team members that were on a variety of kiddos. So they were already on schedule anyway, and it was a little bit easier to navigate that. However, sometimes it would be like, oh no, I have a meeting here or this. So even though it is challenging at times, there were ways to work around those challenges. What about you, Amira? Did you have set schedules through your team approach? In the beginning, scheduling was actually pretty easy for me. And that's because I didn't have a lot of kids on my caseload. 
So I was wide open and the other therapists loved it. They were like, we love scheduling with you, but we'll give it a couple weeks, a couple months, and it's going to get harder. And it did. It did get a lot harder, like you said, because we did have some kids who had those standing appointments that couldn't be moved. But for the most part, everyone was pretty flexible. I will say now scheduling is beautiful for us because we actually use Microsoft Calendar and we share our calendars with the entire team and we're able to plug in when we have appointments. You know, we don't have to use first and last names just for HIPAA things, but we can plug in if we have an appointment, we can plug in if our, if we, the therapist might have like a doctor's appointment, we can mark it unavailable and the service coordinators have access to our calendars. So they can actually just send us an evaluation, put it on our calendar and it is a breeze. Now I work in three regions and only one of my regions I work in actually does this. And the other two regions still do the texting and that scheduling that way. So that that's tough. <laughs> that's very tough to do the scheduling through like texting, especially now that we can't see each other in person and just look at our calendars in person. But for the team that uses the Microsoft calendar, it is flawless. It's a perfect system. <laughs> I love that you say that because for our team assessments, we had a person that just put in all the evaluations. We had three evaluations a day. Our calendars were filled up. They would change and we had a wait list. So if one last minute canceled, they would call and try to plug another eval in. And then when we would have that IFSP meeting, one of the challenges for trying to set up those schedules that we found to help navigate that was at the time of the IFSP, if we knew it was going to be a kiddo, we would co-treat. The teacher and I would plan our schedule out right there and solidify that. Especially where I worked, we would have to take a bodyguard with us. So that also worked with pairing the schedule of the bodyguard with two individuals rather than going one at a time. And it also was for our safety. That wasn't always the case, but it was another challenge that needed to be navigated. And it was easily resolved when we would work on that on the IFSP if we had that ability to do so ahead of time. So that was one way we navigated that. Another challenge that I find that can occur is kiddos get overwhelmed when there are two people in the home. Now, sometimes this occurs and when it does, it can actually be detrimental to the child's progress. So it's important to note if you are seeing a kiddo that isn't benefiting from a team-based approach, then we would stop doing co-treating sessions. Amira, has that ever happened to you? Has a kiddo ever been so overwhelmed because two people were in the home that you had to think of other ways to navigate your sessions? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So in cases like that, we might only have one therapist actually working down on the floor with the kiddo and another might be doing some coaching to the parent while they're watching. So I might be like explaining what the PT is doing as they do it. And then, you know, the parent is eventually going to be tagged in to also do that because we're very hands-on and we like to involve the families in our sessions, of course. So we kind of split it up that way where someone might be doing more of the talking and someone might be doing more of the doing and only just have that one therapist on the floor. But like you said, if there is a kiddo that they're constantly being overstimulated and the two people approach is just not working, then we just won't do those co-treats and we'll just have that other therapist provide coaching to our team lead. So again, how I was saying with the kiddo with like night terrors, and I was able to just receive those direct strategies and then let the family know. So we can also set it up that way. Another challenge that we have with using the team-based approach is that parents know they have this full team behind them. And a lot of times they'll get like a prescription from a pediatrician that says OT one time a week, PT one time a week, speech one time a week. And they think that that's how it's going to work. And so they have trouble kind of understanding this model of only having that one person doing 
the therapy working with that kiddo. So they're constantly asking for more services. So let's say they only have an OT as the team lead and they might say, well, can we add speech? Can we add PT? Can we add a developmental specialist? And I know Danielle, you've talked before about how more services does not always mean more progress. So I kind of want to just hear a little bit more from you on that and how it doesn't always mean more progress to add all of these people. And again, going back to the problem of sometimes kids do get overstimulated and we don't need all of these people in the house. So how do you navigate if parents are asking for more services? That is a great question. And it happens very often. And unfortunately, until doctors, developmental pediatricians jump on board and want to get more educated and empowered by early interventionists and what we actually do, there's going to be that misconception of how service is delivered within our setting. And I start off by immediately at the evaluations talking about how this is not just because you received a prescription that's from a medical-based you know, model. We are doing a family-based approach. And what you're doing is we are, through evaluation and assessment, we are determining the appropriate level of services that are going to best meet the family outcomes. So I always bring it back to the outcomes. The level of service that we're providing is appropriate for your child and your family to meet your outcomes and your goals. And why, and that's why we always are constantly analyzing and assessing on a weekly basis to make sure that that is the appropriate service level that is meeting their needs. And I find that that when we are just keeping parents in the loop as to why and also educating them that more services does not equate to better progress with goals. That is a very heavily based modeled service. And I also want to throw it out there. I think it's important to make sure that parents understand that you're on their side and you're not not giving them services because you don't want to spend money. I get that a lot. Oh, that's why you're not giving me more services because it's going to cost you more money. And I'm like, oh, it doesn't. No, that's not how this works. Your child is entitled to whatever services they need to meet their goals. And that doesn't mean necessarily weekly services are what is in the best interest. Because remember, a child's main occupation is to play, not to be in copious amounts of therapy hours unless it's absolutely necessary for them to support their overall development. So today we talked all about the team-based approach and specifically what it looks like, our experience in working within this approach, and also hashing out some of the pros and the cons to the team-based approach model. Like we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, each location within early intervention, each state can be very, very different. So some states or some regions might have the team-based approach, some might have a different model. So just keep in mind that the specific team-based approach might not be available within your area, but it also could be available. So this is just a brief overview of really what it is and what our experience has been with it. But now we want to hear from you. Do you currently work in a team-based approach? Have you worked in a team-based approach? And if so, what did it look like where you are? So you can reach out to us on our website, therealots.com. You can also contact us on Instagram at EI. We're so excited you joined us today. Check out our website, therealots.com, for more information about anything discussed in the episode. And sign up for our email list so you don't miss out on any of our awesome EI resources. And join our amazing community of students and practitioners to get your questions answered and learn from others working in early intervention. Whether you're in the car, on your lunch break, or signing in to your next virtual session, thanks for keeping it real with the real OTs of early intervention.